It's Brian Preston, the money guy. Restoring order to your financial chaos. Retirement, investing, taxes. You've got financial questions, he's got financial answers. It's Brian Preston, the money guy. Well, guys, the last show was really well received, and I think it's because it was somewhat motivating just because we talked about how historically the market does incredible things if you just stay the course. And a lot of you guys wrote me and said, hey, I appreciate you writing that. It kind of inspired me. It, it let me see that this really is the way. I know there's going to be some downturns, especially, you know, the, we had the, the bomb in Boston this past week. There's always going to be very crazy things. And definitely we're thinking about those families. Uh, Bo, you were on a conference call with one of our clients and his wife was actually up there running in the marathon and uh, he was in sheer panic when he oh, found yeah. out. I, I was on the I phone mean, and someone walked into his office and said, hey, have you heard? So, And it was uh, scary, scary, Crazy scary things are like that are always going to be going on in the world. And it's nice to kind of have a show that kind of motivates you to go look at things from an analytical side to kind of see that, yes, there are a lot of volatile times in our life, but the majority of the time... As I saw in a great write-up one time, the, the asteroid never hits the Earth. So just take that into account. If you didn't get to listen to last, the last show we did, go check it out. Now, today's show, I kind of feel like it's my Casey Kasin moment. Um, to pay a little respect to all of you guys who are a little bit older. Um, it's not Paul Harvey, but Casey Kasin you know, did the top 40 every year. And I always, as a kid, liked the moments when he read a letter, like a long-distance request. A long-distance dedication, I think is what he called it. And we got an email from a listener named Will, brand new to the workforce. So he's been out there working. He's, he has what I like, uh, you know, with, with Money Guy listeners. He's successful. He's ambitious. He also understands the concept of deferred gratification. He even references um, some things I talked about with Albert Einstein and the compounding interest. And he wants to put his army of dollars to work for him. And, and remember, when I talk about those armies of dollars, what I'm talking about is every dollar that you put away, one day, hopefully, will be working for you. So you don't have to work with your back, so you don't have to work with your hands, or even really with your mind. You just kind of put it into action, forget about it, and go do fun stuff. That's, that's what we all hope for anyway. And fun stuff doesn't necessarily mean laying by the beach. It could be that you do a job that you always wanted to pursue in the arts, or maybe you want to go back and teach I mean, there, there's a lot of great things that if you build enough independence, the options are, are, are anywhere. I mean, I know people who, who have talked about going into the mission field after they build up independence. There's no, there's no, there's no end to what you could possibly do. Um, so I want to read the email from Will, and then I thought the timing couldn't be better. I mean, and, and it rhymes with Bill, too, which I thought was quite <laughs> interesting. We got an email from another listener named Bill. So Will wrote us, who's brand new to the game, and it's like almost like we can fast forward, and I saw a lot of my life in, Will, in Bill's email. Even though they rhyme, they also can be confusing. You can be like that, that senile parent that starts calling kids the same name. But the email from Bill, he kind of expresses that he's been listening to the show for years. He's also just had some great financial instincts. He's put them to use, and he's starting to bear fruit meaning that he is really starting to see that that army of dollar bills he's put to work are, are doing it for him. So let, let's kind of start off with Will's email. We're going to then go through Bill's email where he has some, some areas of success. And then after we do that, we're going to transition where I'm going to tell you, kind of get you motivated about saving. 
And then I'm going to tell you, if you're brand new to the investing game, if you're brand new to building this financial independence, what do you need to do? How do you actually hit the rubber to the road? I mean, that really is because I, I tried to do some research and due diligence for the show. And what I couldn't believe was when I went and started looking up um, easy entry mutual funds, low dollar thresholds. These articles had were written, there was a lot of them written around 2007, 2000, beginning part of 2008. But then it's been radio <laughs> silence. And I think it's just because that reflects the culture is that after 2008, when the financial markets collapsed, a lot of people just said cash. That's all I want to do is yep. cash. And now we're starting to see some glimmers, even though the last week or so has had some volatility. And I think people still feel a little bit better now. And they're realizing, hey, cash only does so much, especially with these low interest rates. So they're considering going back in. But you know, since these articles haven't been written since 2007, 2008, nobody's giving them the guidance. So for my family of Money Guy listeners who've been with me since 2006, 2007, 2008, everything you're going to hear today, you've already heard before. But... I still think you stick around because those are those moments where you get to go, oh, yeah, I got that. I, I understand that. Applied that. So let's go ahead and drop into this thing. So the email from, from Will, here's what, here's what Will wrote. He said, Brian, first he, he, his subject line was, first-time podcast listener inspired me to reach out to you. Man, how can you not read an email <laughs> titled like that? So, so, Will, you really grabbed me with that title. But he goes, Brian, I downloaded your podcast last night, listened to it this morning while I was getting ready for work, and found it to be really insightful and geared right toward the type of investment financial talk that I enjoy hearing. The current episode is the only one I've listened to thus far. Will, I've got a treat for you. We've been doing this since 2006, so go sign up for the premium edition. We'll load you up for many, many mornings while you're getting dressed. Um, and I found it to be really insightful and geared right toward the type of investment financial talk I enjoy hearing. The current episode is the only one I've listened to thus far, but I appreciated how the content is presented in a way that a person with basic knowledge of capital markets can follow along. While there's also an undertone of deeper subject matter, which keeps us, those with more experience and knowledge in regards to finance and investing in tune and interested as well, I believe I fall somewhat toward the latter, excepting that I have yet to make take my personal leap into the markets, which would throw me somewhere towards the middle. I've been planning and anticipating making my entrance into financial markets for years now, and I've had pretty much shaped most aspects of my life around the financial markets. I believe now that I'm at a point in my life where this long-time ambition of mine can become a reality, and I want to make the most sound decisions in taking this first big step. This is why I'm reaching out. To you, because any sound advice would be deeply and truly appreciated at this pivotal stage in my life. Didn't that sound like something you hear on Top 40 Radio? I thought the exact same thing. Now, I, I'm going to pick on Will just a little bit, because when you write the show and I read your, your email, sometimes I do pick on people, because that's just my nature. Will, I can tell because the next paragraph, you're a man of my own heart. I think you're overthinking a little bit, and that's where we're going to help motivate you a little bit, too. But, and Bo likes picking on us CPA types, too. So here's the next part. To provide a little background about myself, I'm a recent graduate with a master's in taxation and a bachelor's degree in accounting with a minor in finance. Must be brilliant. He's an accounting major. Oh, man, he's got to be the top of the top. Come on, you know us CPAs. Who sets the highest pass rates on the CFP exam? Uh, the stated standard is the CPA. That's Thank correct. you. That's what I wanted to hear. I'm also a CPA. There we go. Sells itself. And employed by a big four accounting firm. I'm a tax accountant specializing in financial services and currently reside and work. Okay. He works in a cool 
Really cool location. You know, a really location cool that's, location. I don't want to give too much because I don't want to get, you know, get his personal life out. In regards to my life outside of my resume, uh, I will tell you this about his location. Probably has a suntan. Um, in regards to my life outside of my resume, I wish I had more available cash flow, don't we all, to use for my goal of investing. But unfortunately, I had to finance my education through full-time work and student loans. I've been able to save very much over the years, save very much over the years because of varying reasons that continue to this day. I've been unable. I haven't, I think, been, I haven't been able to save. Yeah, I've been unable to save. Those student loan payments sure do hurt, and Bo, you understand that with your that neighbor. Ain't that the truth? But I feel as though that trend is slowly turning around. Regardless, what I'm trying to say is that although I'm not able to start with a substantial sum to lock into investments for a long period of time, I believe I'm at the point in my life where I'm financially capable of making my initial move into the markets. Although I deal with financial matters and investments all day long, I've never actually asked a financial ex- expert such as yourself for personal advice. As much as it would be great to have the ability to, to make a large profits in the short term, I realize that this is a long-term game. And as you quoted Albert Einstein in your podcast, one of the most powerful forces in the world is compounding interest. He, he's starting to preach it here. You hear it. Um, I know that the sooner I start, the greater the result will be in the future. I suppose my question for you is, if you could take a step into the shoes of a young professional that is just starting out, what would be your approach to make the investment decisions. In short, where would you suggest I start, and how should I make that initial jump into the markets? Can, can I tell you the visual I get in my head? The visual I'm seeing, like kind of metaphorically speaking, is I see a guy like walking around this big, beautiful swimming pool, trying to plan what the best part of the swimming pool is to jump into. How do I get into the swimming pool? Do I put a toe in in the top left corner, or do I go into the bottom right half? You know, what, what, at the end of the day. You just got to get into the swimming pool. You just got to jump in. Yeah, and that's what, but, but in full regards, we're going to give Will some advice. So we'll write email, we'll write an email to Will after this show, letting him know. I saw your face. Bo will write an email to Will after this show and just letting him know, hey, we did a show and, um, you know, the, go check it out because in, in all the other Wills that are out there who didn't write the show, this is going to be the show that's going to help you make that action. Because that dream of getting in the markets a reality. And, and, Bo, I thought your analogy was perfect. I mean, that really is true. you got this beautiful pool, and you're trying to figure out the right way. You're really thinking about it. And that's CPAs, I will tell you, and that's why I was picking on Will. We do tend to overthink things. We're not as bad as attorneys, but we do overthink things a lot. Was a, so, um, so for a young professional, do you want to jump in now, or are you, you going to read the other one? How do you want to do this? I was going to read because I thought it was inspirational, but I, you know, I don't want to read too much, but I do think it's inspirational this is how Bill started off. He said, Brian and Bo, I'm a regular listener to your Money Guy podcast, and I know you enjoy notes from listeners passing on their experience. During a college finance class in 1990, a professor showed us a graph of the potential rewards of reinvesting gains and the mathematical effects of compounding. It was an important event that shaped my view of saving and investing from that point forward. And it sounds like Bill has very much the same thoughts towards money and the experience towards money, because I I remember kind of the life-changing moment for me was sitting in an economics class in high school by your stereotypical economics teacher in high school who's a retired military. He was also the wrestling coach. You know, I think they just said, hey, what can you do? And he was like, I don't know. I kind of like economics. So they just gave him that class. And I, I shouldn't pick on him too much because he really did change my life. And the fact that he shared with all of us high school kids, he said, if y'all just save $100 a month, you can be rich. You can have over a million dollars. And I remember not coming from money, 
but working as, as a crew leader at the drive-through at a local fast food <laughs> restaurant. That I was like, why are you laughing? I could just see you with like the microphone, the big beaver swoop over, yeah. you know, asking. I don't. I don't know. Even Plus, what. I weighed probably forty pounds less than I do now, <laughs> so it was, it was like a big skeleton with skin on top of me. But nonetheless, I kind of took that. I was like, I could do a hundred dollars a month, and was figuring. And, and it really did change my life. And it sounds like Bill kind of had that same moment moment when he hit college. He continues on. He says he gives a little bit of about his personal financial situation. I don't want to give all that, but he said, I thought this part was good. I married young and was fortunate that my wife is as much of a tightwad as I am. As I only had to save about ten thousand, uh, since I only had ten thousand dollars saved by the time we married, when I was twenty-three, we decided then to live modestly, and have not measurably increased our lifestyle beyond inflation since we bought our first home in the nineties. The smallest in the neighborhood. From our early adult years until now, we saved as much as possible toward retirement investments. We decided years before our kids were born to begin saving for college, so we would not have to worry about where the money will come from when they are of that age as many families do. He goes, and this is why I like this concept. My parents taught me about deferred gratification through saving. There's that concept of, you know, of compounding interest, deferred gratification. They gave me the golden advice of not buying anything on a credit card I couldn't write a check or pay cash for. And as a result, we have never had credit card debt. I pass these themes on to my children, and I'm proud of the surprising amounts they have accumulated in their kids' savings, in the kids' savings accounts socking away most of their Christmas and birthday money over the years. I had the additional unfair benefit of being a mental financial mutant. I thought that was I cool. I like that. I like that one a lot. I get nervous when markets drop, not because I fear loss, but because I don't have as much cash to deploy in downturns as I'd like. There's that army of money that I mm-hmm. talk about putting to work. I didn't leave the markets in the dot-com and 2008 crashes. Instead, dollar cost averaging and staying the course through the downturns. He goes on, tells a little bit more about where he's from. I kind of skipped over part of that. And he said, It's good advice to spend less than you earn, but the best advice is to apply income increases to savings and not to lifestyle. Space financial milestones out so you can weather the bumps while keeping the dots connected. I owe much of my financial knowledge to reading books like The Truth About Money by Rick Edelman which helped shape my financial planning in my early 20s. I buy a copy of it for any acquaintance who promises me they will read it. I continually trade myself on finance and investing both by reading and listening to shows like The Money Guy. Nice plug there, Bill. I appreciate that. And then here's where he closes it out. Today's a milestone, but not the goal or end of the road by a long shot. A low-cost cocktail and a prayer of thanks for my family's many blessings will comprise the entire celebration. By the way, if y'all want to know, he read it. He said it earlier in the email. And I just didn't want to give too much of Bill's personal situation just in case people he knows. But he passed the seven-figure level on assets. And I think that's, that is a big that's milestone because I'm going to talk about what it takes to do that in a minute. Um, then it was time to move on, staying the same course. Gratification will remain deferred until I write that last tuition check for my second child's college education. Most of the splurges until then will be acute charitable needs we encounter along the way that we can lend a hand with. Thanks for the messages you send. You keep my financial lifestyle spirits pointed in a positive direction. The Money Guy Show is fantastic, and I wish you guys, your staff, and all your listeners the best. I mean, that is full circle. Emails like that are the, are the reason we do it. I mean, both those emails really kind of got me excited about what we do here. 
And I wanted to have that moment that my economics professor provided me with. I wanted to kind of share it with all of our listeners. And I know anybody who's been listening from the beginning, you've heard this before, but every there's a reason I share this at every 401k presentation that we do. It's because this stuff is powerful. Everybody wants to be a millionaire, but it takes a little bit of work to be a millionaire. You know, Bo, you knew, being an athlete yourself, you knew athletes in college, and I know you can't give the exact quote that he gave because he put a little salty language in there. But you don't even have to give his name, but there was what position did he play? Well, it's, it's actually professional bodybuilders who it is, and what he always said is, everybody wants to be big, but don't nobody want to lift the really heavy weight. And there I kind of paraphrased it. I appreciate you end. cleaning that up. And it's kind of the same way. Everybody wants to be rich. But nobody wants to do what it takes to be rich, except for us financial mutants that you heard, you know, Bill talk about earlier. And here's what I, this is what rocked my world when I was sitting in that economics class, probably my junior year of high school. And I found this slide. It says, how to accumulate $1 million by age 65. Now, this is the part that's amazing. It starts out at age one. Now, the, the, the rate of return to set up the variables, the rate of return that's used is 10%. Now, before 2008, if you said 10%, everybody's like, ah, that's reasonable. That's, right. that's no problem. But, you know, now post-2008, 10%, you might be going, I don't know. But remember, last year was 16%. You know, the, the year before that, 2011, was, you know, about a break-even year. But then you had 2010 that was right at 10%, a little over 10%. You had 2009 it had 23%. And then the first quarter alone of 2013 had 10%. So it is conceivable you can get 10%. I would, you know, but so bear with me because 10% makes it easy. And I think it kind of puts the right framing of this analysis. And this is assuming a million dollars by 65. For one year, a, a, one, an, a one-year-old, if you're one years old and you have 64 years to go, so you just have, you've been on this planet for 12 months your parents decide, you know what, that beautiful one-year-old child of ours, they need to be a millionaire. Let's start saving for them. Let's just assume they could make 10%. What would we need to save a month to make that happen? It's $14. $14. There's four weeks in a month, typically. So you could, you could see that that's nothing. That's, I mean, that's, that's a fast food meal. That's three $5 footlongs. I mean, that's, that's, that's cheap. This also shows the power of, of compounding interest. Because look what happens. You're a 10-year-old. So maybe you didn't look at that 1-year-old. Maybe you looked at your 10-year-old. I have a child that's 9, go soon turn 10. If I looked at her and said, man, some of this Christmas money, some of this you know, allowance money that she gets, I'd sure like her to start putting that away for the future so she could build some financial independence. She's got 55 years to save. How much would she need to save a month? $35 a month. That doesn't seem crazy. I mean, remember, on, on the weeks that we have four weeks, that's, that's less than $10 a week. I mean, so kids' allowances aren't that far from that. So your kids could become millionaires off of the allowance you're giving them. <laughs> that's how crazy that, if you think about it in those terms. Take it out 10 more years. You got your 20-year-old. This is where I was, like I said, sitting in a high school classroom, probably 17, 16, 17, maybe 18 years old. And you get a little older, it starts getting a little gray. Um 20 years old, so this is maybe somebody who's a sophomore in college, 45 years until retirement, they need to save $95 a month. Okay. So see, my economics professor, wrong. He said $100 back when I was 16 or 17. I'm telling you, 20, you can save less than $100 and still be a millionaire. 
fast forward thir- 10 more years, 30 years of age. Now, you got 35 years to save, $263. You see, we went from $14 back when you were one. Jacked it up to 35 when you were 10. And now here we are at 30, it's $263. Still doable. That's still completely reasonable. Push it off another 10 years, 40 years of age. 25 years until retirement. That number jumps up to $754 a month. Now it's starting to get to be some real green at that point. Guys, the reason I share those numbers with you, did you see how easy it was when you had time on your side? And 40 is not old. If you listen to a lot of the, the songs by Pitbull and some of the others, 40 is the new 30. <laughs> so, I mean, you've got to think about these things. I know you're laughing because, you know, to hear a crotchety old man like uh, me talk about Pitbull. You just referenced Mr. 305. Yeah, you know, like you know nice. come on. we got to keep it, we got to keep it relevant for our younger <laughs> listeners. This is the intro to investing. If you're 50, you only have 15 years until you hit that 65 mark. You've got to save $2,413 a month. I'm not even going to shock and awe you guys anymore with the numbers. I think I've shared enough with you. The benefit is start as soon as you can. So, you know, Will, who started out, you're exactly right, Bo. He's walking around the pool. We got to get him in the water. That's a fact. Because every day that goes by gets a little bit harder to reach Mm -hmm. those goals. Because we need to get that army of dollar bills out there working for him. So that's the motivation. You heard how easy it is when you're young. So if you want to accumulate a million dollars, we just told you, kind of what it takes. So let's give you some resources now. You want to do it. You want to go do some research. You're excited about it. You already heard we had, um, you know, Bill gave us a great book. Bo, have you read that book? I I have not. The Rick Edelman book. Yeah. I I mean, so that's a great resource. Another one that you hear me talk about a lot that I like, I think is another one that I'd probably give out to friends and acquaintances that anybody who I think I can get them to start saving money. I love The Wealthy Barber. Mm -hmm. You've heard me. It's getting older, but... Good advice is priceless and timeless. Yep. So, you know, it's okay that The Wealthy Barber by... David Chilton. There you go. Thank you for filling in the blanks. Millionaire Next Door, Dr. Stanley, my fellow Atlanta living guy who I've had a chance to trade emails with and never met in person. It's going to happen at some point. I just know it is. But The Millionaire Next Door is going to give you those, those type of analytical assurances that you being the financial mutant that's living not like your friends, then it's okay because you're going to find out what the, the, the what other millionaires are doing and it's going to make you feel really good about what you're doing. So we got you the resources. We got you motivated. It's time to put that rubber on the asphalt and let it take off. So here's what we need to do. We got to have a plan of attack. When I talk about plan of attack, we first got to think about things like cash reserves. Do you have your cash reserves? You got to have a little bit of money in the bank just in case something bad happened. Mm-hmm. You also got to think about are you taking advantage of your employer matching? Where's Meaning, that low-lying fruit? Yeah, where's the lowest-lying fruit? Like your, your 401k. If you have a 401k at work or a simple IRA or something where they're saying, hey, guys, if you give us 3%, 4%, 5% of your wages, we'll give you free money. Are you doing it? You're crazy if you're not. I'm always surprised that when I go and do these enrollment meetings for retirement plans, how many young people leave that money? They just leave that money. And a lot of new 401ks. Now, old 401ks used to have what's called a vesting schedule. And a lot of them still do. Don't you think they're all gone? But a lot of vesting schedules were six years. Now, these new safe harbor 401ks, you see this with a lot of small business owners, that money that they give you a matching, yours immediately. Mm -hmm. There's no vesting schedule. It's yours. Take it with you. 
You know, so it's it's just an incredible opportunity, and I always the, the the you know what I'm going to say. Matter of fact, go ahead and, and share. What do I tell them at the at the meetings? I think where you're going with, with this is if you were to set up a table outside of that meeting, and you just had a bunch of bags full of money, and they had each person in that room's name written on it. You said all you got to do, walk by my table, pick up your bag of money, head on home. Every single person in the meeting would come get their bag of money and go on home. That's exactly what your employer is offering you with that match. You just got to show up, pick up the bag of money. I'm, I, you know, we do that at every meeting. Everybody's like, yep, I picked up that bag. I mean, it's the same thing if you had a $10 bill laying at their feet and you say, you know what, if you pick it up, you can have it. Everybody do it. <laughs> so it's the same way with your employer match. Take advantage of that free money because guess what? That's a 100% rate of return if you take advantage of that match. Mm-hmm. Not many things in life are going to be that good and that easy. So after you figure out your, you know, making, got your emergency reserves, making sure you get your employer match, you got to figure out, are you going into Roth IRAs? Are you going into individual or joint accounts? I mean, these are things you've got to put together, put together your, your plan of attack. After you've put together your plan of attack, understand what you have, you know, minimum investment-wise. Because that's going to change where you go with your, your choices. You know, I was surprised when I was doing research. We do a lot of work with Fidelity. Um, Fidelity's minimum is $2,500. To open to open an account on the retail side is $2,500. I went to Schwab to see what theirs are because we do some more relate. We have some relationship with, with Schwab as well. Schwab was $1,000 with an asterisk. And you know what that asterisk said? That asterisk said, we got a $1,000 minimum except unless you're willing to sign up for a monthly savings plan of $100 a month, then we'll waive that $1,000 minimum. That's pretty nice. I mean, because all that means, and by the, none of this is an endorsement. I'm just telling you what I know and easy access points that I found when I did some research. So Schwab takes that and puts that minimum investment kind of on its ear and provides you some access. Vanguard. I've got my research on Vanguard right over here. Vanguard's minimum in, initial investment is also $1,000. So you got to think about that. $1,000 seems to be the threshold you kind of need to be playing with. Unless you're willing to do a monthly savings plan, then Schwab and some other choices will give you more options. You notice we're not saying anything about a $7.95 trading, free, uh, trading fee or talking about your first 100 trades are for free or your first three months of trading is for You notice we're not mentioning that kind of stuff? That's by design because we're not talking about trading. We're talking about long-term saving. How do you do it for the long-term so yes, you can't open up a Scott Trade, E-Trade. They do have low-cost plans, low entry points. But if you do that, do it as a conduit to save, not as a conduit to trade. I like where you're going with that because it is one of those things. Bo and I, well, we've been talking about what do people like you guys who are brand new to investing don't qualify for minimums. We've shared our minimums are $750,000. We, we hate that there's a whole group of people we can't help out. And I know, and that's why we're giving you these, these sources of where you can go do some additional research. But it is amazing to me when we've done our due diligence trying to give people guidance. You go to the home screens. They talk about sign up. We'll give you 30 free trades. Mm-hmm. $7.95 trading. You know, they compete. Trading is not where it's at, guys. I, I can just tell you it is not where it's at. There is somebody who you can go pay probably hundreds of dollars or, or, or pay for their subscription service, and they'll tell you how great they can give you the best trades I call it a bunch of hooey. I just, I, I think it's, if they could really do it that well, they wouldn't be selling you their system. They'd be managing billions of dollars like the Bill Grosses, the Warren Buffetts, and all the others. Because when you have a really good system that works, money kind of shows up for you. That's why Warren Buffett's so successful. Mm-hmm. And guess what he writes about? 
being a long-term investor, creating that portfolio that you don't have to trade. It's so funny, you know, I got, I, we were actually talking about this the other day. I got back from my, uh, my little boys trip I went on. We did some gambling. We went to a casino up there. And kind of the analogy that you and I made was that like playing the game, shooting craps or playing blackjack, that's like trading. Owning the casino is investing. Yeah, it's, it's a great analogy. Yeah. Be a lot easier to make money if you own the casino <laughs> versus trying to win it by, by putting money down on the table. The other thing, you know, and that's why I kind of already hit on my next point that I had on here was the monthly savings plan. A lot of these initial investments get softened or easier if you do set up a monthly savings plan. And I like, I said monthly, but I'm just talking about a systematic plan because some of you might not be able to do monthly. Because some of these, like when we were looking at Fidelity, Fidelity has a $200 systematic investment plan minimum. So, you, obviously, if you couldn't do $200 a month, that doesn't mean you can't do it. What it means is maybe you only get to do it every other month. You do $100 a month, but you only trade into a new mutual fund or in, putting more money dollar cost averaging into that mutual fund that you've chosen every other month or maybe once a quarter. That's what I do with my college, my kids' college accounts with their 529s. I do it quarterly. Mm-hmm. Drop that money in there. So you got to think about that. Savings plans, dollar cost averaging. That's also going to be the thing that saves you when that market goes south, goes volatile, and goes down. You're going to be like, hi, dog, my investment buys tomorrow. I'm going to be able to get in at 3% cheaper than it was today. What was Bill's term? I, uh, the, He's a financial mutant. Financial mental mutant. That's yeah. exactly how I think I, I forgot the mental part. But I like that because it is. I find myself thinking the same way. When things are down, I get excited that I'm getting a good deal. After you figure out what you're going to do on a monthly basis, you know, figure out your initial investment. You can go look at the custodians. We shared with you Schwab. We shared with you Fidelity's thresholds. We shared with you Vanguard. I want to talk to you about the actual investment. Products have changed a lot over the last, really, five years. Mm-hmm. Back in the past, you had to try to create a portfolio they had a little bit of large cap, you know, if you wanted those S&P 500 type stocks, you want a little small cap value in there to give you a little bang for the buck, you know, getting those small up and coming companies that could really get you a great rate of return during a good market. But you, you know, with the changing world, you want some international. And then as you get a little bit older, you're obviously going to want to have a touch of fixed income. So those are kind of your basic core asset classes. And in the past, it was a lot harder. You might have to create a basket of five to six different funds to make that happen. Well, asset allocation funds came around a few, you know, probably a few decades ago. But they were so generalized. You know, you'd have your conservative allocation. You'd have your moderate allocation. Right. You'd have your aggressive, you know, and they'd get growth in income. I mean, they're all different types. They really weren't pinpointed, you know, so they were trying to, to catch as many people as possible. There's a brand new innovation that came about, and this is what I try to steer people towards. If they can't meet the minimum of, say, 200 to 250 to, to hire somebody to work with them right. on managing their assets, the easiest way to get a great diversified with the basic asset classes like the stocks, the bonds, the international, and then cash is to consider doing something like a target date retirement fund. Yep. They're brand new. You got, I mean, they, when I say brand new, they've been around for the last five years or so. We've got target date retirement funds through Vanguard. We got Fidelity Freedom Funds through Fidelity. I mean, there's even a lot more Charles out there. Schwab, Charles Schwab. Charles Schwab has them. Yep. And, you know, and that's when I was looking at, you know, I pulled the 2035 funds. 
Most of these things have internal expenses less than 1%. That's a good thing. An internal expense less than 1%, no front-end commission. And they're going to do the asset allocation for you with the thought process, the way these target date retirement funds work. You choose the year you think you need the money or the date you think you're going to need to retire. And then as you get older, they get more conservative. As you get closer to that year of the target, they adjust automatically for you. So kind of they're doing the job of what an advisor would be doing for you, just on a much more simplified scale, It is. It's very simplified. But remember, what do we say? Bo, you do it. I hear you say it all the time when young people are talking to you. What's the most important thing you can do when you're starting out? Man, your savings rate is going to outpace your rate of return every time accumulation trumps allocation bar none. In the beginning, it definitely does. It's not until you get to a a larger asset size that this stuff really comes into play with making sure you're adding asset classes that are outside of the norm of stocks, bonds, cash, and international. I mean, that, but that's what you're going to get with some of these simple, you know, target date retirement funds, but that's all you need in the beginning. Look at something like that. Don't keep walking around the swimming pool. Get in the water. You know, it's. I thought it was great. One of the other emails that I read was, you know, if things continue to be volatile, I'll still be buying. That's a fact. I mean, I even had a, client, a brand new podcast client who just signed up, and he was telling us that you know one of the reasons he signed up was his current advisor called and recommended he gets out of the market for an entire month because of some anecdotal research. And this is a guy who's in his 30s. I'm going to be buying. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the thing. I'm not looking to get out of things because I'm scared when I'm still 20 to 30 years from retirement. And right. I think if you're a young person saving, you need to have that same philosophy. Remember, be a financially mental mutant where you get excited when things get getting beaten up because you're getting cheaper shares. And that is going to bring you to that point where you'll look back and you'll be able to take that small moment exactly like Bill did where maybe you don't get a full celebration party, but you get to look out the window, drink your cost-effective adult beverage, however he worded it, and go, this is working. I'm bearing fruit. I've got more soldiers in my dollar army that are working for me. And in a few years, there's going to be so many soldiers working for me, I won't have to work at all unless I want to, and that's when I can pursue those dreams that get me excited to go do things. If my day job's not bringing me excitement, I had a phone call with somebody today that their day job's really giving them a lot of stress. Try to figure out how you put those dollars to work so maybe you can do what your dream is. Mm-hmm. Check us out. I didn't give any of this intro. I just kind of jumped in. Money-guy.com. I'm your host, Brian Preston, joined by Bo Hansen. You can write both of us. I'm Brian, B-R-I-A-N, at money-guy.com. Bo's email address is B-O at money-guy.com. We'll be back in about two weeks. We just thank you guys for being such great listeners, writing the show, giving us the inspiration to even to come up with shows like this and listing those great comments out there on iTunes, you know, checking us out on Stitcher. There's so many different places you can find this show, and you guys are taking a show that is all done from the heart, doesn't have a corporate backing, and you've made us relevant, and you made this a movement that's actually changing people's lives, and we just thank you, thank you, thank you for letting us have that opportunity. We'll talk to you in two weeks. The Money Guy podcast is hosted by Brian Preston, and Brian Preston is a partner with Preston & Cleveland Wealth Management. 
Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management is a registered investment advisory firm regulated by the Securities and Exchange Commission in accordance and compliance with securities laws and regulations. Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through the Money Guy podcast. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment, or legal advice. <laughs>